All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if you're brand new, we want to say uh, welcome here. We're actually finishing up a series that we've been doing for a bunch of weeks called Invisible God. And so I love seeing some of that stuff uh, from Pearl Street Mall, just how, how people view God and how they view that they connect to God. Because what we've really been talking about is if, if we can't in a daily way uh, see God or touch God or hear God audibly, then how do you actually have a relationship with uh, someone that uh, you can't see, hear, or touch? And so especially when Jesus says that the most important thing in life is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and yet there's this big kind of um, confusing thing where it's like, well, on the one hand, I'm supposed to love him, but on the other hand, how in the world am I supposed to do it? And so, um, so today, I hope this series has been helpful for you. Today's the last one in it. I can't wait to get through uh, and, and start talking with you about uh, what we want to end with. Before we do, I've asked my good friend Aisha Cox to share a little story with us. So Aisha, take it away. This is a story of a boy named Shasta. He lived with his father, a poor fisherman named Arshish. Shasta spent his days in hard labor working for his father. After a great day of catching fish, Arshish came home in good spirits. He was a kind father on those days. But when it was a day with little catch, he was not so kind. Shasta was discouraged from dreaming of life beyond their village. His father told him not to bother wondering what lay beyond the horizon. One night, a traveling visitor came to town and spent the evening at their house. From outside, Shasta listened through the cracked door as the two men chatted, and he learned the devastating truth. Arshish was not his father. Shasta had been lied to, and to make it worse, he was no son. He was a slave. Shasta knew he had to break free and escape. The visitor's horse was loosely tied out front. Shasta untied him and took off into the night. Together they flew toward freedom. Their trip, however, was not without trouble and danger. You see, within the woods they heard what sounded like another horse or some animal following their path. Invisible, unseen, yet heard. Were they being followed? From out of nowhere, appalling sounds like a long, snarling roar would fill the air. The horse would take off in a gallop. Lions! They were sure of it. Throughout their careful journey, snarls and loud breathing would fill Shasta's ear from just beyond the trail. It was as if the lion was tracking them. At one point, his human eyes met the beastly eyes of the lion, who was crouched down, staring at him in stillness. One evening, Shasta found himself sleeping in a graveyard. In the midst of the night, a little cat crept over to him. This cat stayed with him until morning, offering him some much-needed comfort. As the long path from slavery to freedom continued, Shasta continually heard the loud animal breathing just off the trail. Something was walking with him. Terrified, he kept moving, keeping as far away from the breath as he could. This went on for what seemed like hours, until finally, he couldn't stand it anymore. With courage, he turned to the darkness and stammered, 
you. The silence was finally broken with a voice who answered, I am one who has waited a long time for you to talk to me. Thank you, Aisha. Jeff, thank you. Yeah, good job. You guys know that story from the horse and his boy? Uh, it's it's C.S. Lewis. It's from uh, Chronicles of Narnia. It's one of those uh, books along the way. And it's funny because I look back at those books and I can only remember a couple of them. Uh, and this, is, this, this one stuck with me. This one, the horse and his boy, to me represented... Uh, a statement that C.S. Lewis was making about God in a way that I didn't see. I, I mean, you certainly see those themes throughout his books, but this one just captured me. You know, if you know the story, uh, Shasta finds out that in the end, it, every time that cat was showing up, whether a lion or a little kitty cat, or that, that was Aslan. That was the great lion who was showing up in his life, and he didn't recognize him. And in fact, sometimes he, he, sometimes he was terrified of him. He, he thought that there was danger uh, happening because of him. And, and so at the end of his life, he finds out that this lion has been walking with him the entire time, comforting him, protecting him, and orchestrating his moves in a way that he would not have seen if it weren't in hindsight. Man, that's a compelling thought when you think about your life. And you think about, uh, is God doing that in your life? Is God doing that in my life? Is, is God actually walking through the daily steps of your life? And you don't recognize him. But in hindsight someday, we will see kind of how he wove things together. You know, it, it's, uh, it, it has a real bearing on this topic of how do we relate to God? How do we have a relationship with God? Especially when we don't see him in the moment. I think that's the thing about Shasta, he didn't see God, he didn't see Aslan in the moment. And often, neither do we. And so I want to ask today, I, I think what's a really important question, if, if we're going to relate to God, do we believe that God is actually engaged in everyday life? Do you think that God is engaged in your life every single day? If we believe that God is engaged in life every day, that's going to impact a lot of things. That's going to impact how we live. That's going to impact how we pray. That's going to impact how we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, what we think about God and what we think about our lives. Do we, do we believe that? Do we think that it's true that God is actually engaged every day, even in ways maybe like Shasta, that we don't actually see or understand? Um, I, was, I was reading a a blog on this this week because I just I thought this is so important because if if we want to connect to God but let's say God only you know shows up in our lives once a week or once a month or once a year or once in a lifetime isn't that going to impact how we live isn't it going to impact the way that we have a relationship with someone imagine that right if if someone helicopters into your life you've got somebody like that who helicopters into your life only once in a while it, it defines the relationship. And I wonder what we think about God. Is he there every single day or not? I was reading a blog on this, uh, kind of famous Christian blog. Uh, and basically what they did was they kind of laid out an ironclad 
biblical proof that God is engaged every day. And went through all the passages, very compelling argument, lined up, you know, iron tight kind of thing. And so, uh, but what was so interesting was they go through it all and the conclusion was God is clearly involved every day. There was only one comment at the end of the blog and it was a woman named Mary. And she, I'm gonna read to you what she wrote. She wrote after it, she said, I have been looking for a job for many years, but only hitting dead ends. I trusted God and believed that he cared about every detail of my life. But after all these years of searching, I have come to the conclusion that he does not care about all details. Look at this last thing she says. He has made me so ashamed of my faith in him. She, she came into this feeling like, okay, God, like you're not showing up daily. And in the end, she actually felt shame about her faith in God because of it. Now, come on. <laughs> we could all write this. We could all write this. Maybe it's, maybe it's subbing in a different topic, you know. Uh, I, I've been waiting for years, praying for years about something about my job or my health. Or I've been praying for years about something with a relationship, a friendship, my marriage. Uh, I've been praying for years about my finances. I've been praying for years about my grades. I've been praying for years. Where am I going to go to college? I mean, we, like, we could put so many things in this category of like, okay, God, aren't you showing up? And we could conclude that he actually doesn't care about the details of our lives, just like this. The thing, the thing that, um, that bummed me out more than anything was the blog uh, wrote this big case. She, Mary, replied, and then nobody replied to Mary's reply. And I thought, oh my gosh, isn't that just like us? We can, have, we can say the right Christian thing, that God is involved with our lives every day, but then when we don't see it happening in the way that we think, we're speechless, in the face of that, what do we do with this? Guys, if we're going to have a relationship with God, we've got to come to grips and understand, how does God work? Is it daily? Is it not daily? Uh, when does God come in and not come in? Because that's going to impact how we have a relationship with God. Here's what I want you to do. Before we get too far in this, I'm gonna, I want to share another story with you in a second here. But before we get too far into this, I want you to just think, you can write it down if it helps you, put it in your phone, however you're wired. I want you to think on a scale from one to 10, how involved is God in your everyday life? Is, is God a 10? In other words, God cares about every detail, God's in the mix, God, God's walking with you every step of the way. Is, are you a one with how you view that? I, I don't think God's involved at all. I think God either spun the universe and then stepped back and is just watching somewhere, or God doesn't exist. That's, so that's the scale, one to ten. Where are you on that scale? Okay? You got your number? Now let me ask you, why? If you're, if you're a seven, or a three, or two, or five, why? You have to ask this question. This will tell a lot about how you interpret God, your personal understanding of who God is in this moment. If you're five, why God's moderately involved. Why? Is it because God doesn't care to be that involved? Is it because God doesn't have the power 
to be that involved, you have to ask yourself and get to the question of why is it that I think God is involved or not involved with the details of my life? Tell, you, tell us a lot about how we see God. So hold there. I, I want to tell you another story. And um, this one's from the scripture that I think has a lot to say about this idea of God's movement in our lives. And is it every day? Is it not? Like, what's he doing? I, I want you to see this story uh, unfold. So I want to tell you the story that we read in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, it's chapter 37 to 50. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I, in fact, I'm just going to kind of tell it to you. Uh, I'm going to give you 14 chapters of Genesis here in just a couple minutes. Um, this is the story of a guy that a lot of you know the story. It's a guy named Joseph. So uh, to give you a little context, at the beginning of Genesis, we see God make a deal the first kind of deal he makes with human beings is with a guy named Abraham and says, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God and we're going to have this relationship. Right? It's, it's, um, it's always with God couched in the relationship. And so God and Abraham have this relationship and then that continues through uh, Abraham's son Isaac and then to Jacob. And you read all these stories. It's fantastic stuff that should be read and sometimes you read it and you go, wow, these people are different than today. Um, but it's, it is definitely worth reading to watch for God's uh, weaving of the relationship through that all. Jacob has 12 boys, and one of them is named Joseph. And so that's the context for the story. Joseph has all these brothers, and he's got 10 older brothers. So Joseph is the second youngest, and Joseph has this crazy thing about him. Joseph is actually able, he has this thing where he has dreams that God kind of comes and gives him a, a vision of what's happening for the future. And so he has this dream. This is so great uh, for those of you with older siblings, older brothers or sisters. Think about this for a second. He has this dream of himself kind of ruling over his brothers. Okay? Anybody, who's got an older sibling? How well would they respond to that if you had that dream and told them about it? I don't think that's going to go over well. Joseph has this dream, and he chooses to tell his brothers, hey, I'm going to tell you guys this dream. Check this out. You know? Predictively, they're not psyched. Uh, the brothers don't like it. And in fact, uh, they're old enough and just competitive enough, some of you have this brother, that they like actually physically harm, they want to physically harm Joseph, and they do. Uh, you read in Genesis the first, I, I think it might be the first case of human trafficking in history, they, they take Joseph and they chuck him one day. They throw him into this deep water pit and they sell him. I don't care how bad your little brother is, don't sell him to somebody else. That's what they do. They take him, they throw him in this pit. These slave traders come by and they actually sell their brother. Holy cow. Joseph now is on a little caravan off to the country of Egypt. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He is sold into a house. He's working for a guy named Potiphar. And, and, and just to give you context, so at least you know the story, this isn't immediately obvious. We think he's in Potiphar's house for 11 years. He spends 11 years working kind of as a servant in this guy's house, away from his family in a foreign land. He's a slave. After 11 years, he is accused of something he didn't do. They take him and they actually throw him into prison. 
And we think that for two years, Joseph was in prison. Two years for something you did not do. And you've been, first of all, shipped off as a slave by your brothers. Let me ask you this. After 13 years, you've had a dream that God gave you, that you thought God gave you. And now you're 13 years into this weird exile and things are not fun. What kind of blog post is Joseph writing? Man, are you kidding me? He's not loving this. This is, this is tough stuff. Now, so here's what happens. He's in prison, but Joseph continues to receive these kind of visions from God. And one of the things that God grants Joseph is this ability to take somebody else's dream and, and then tell you, interpret what it means. And so he's doing this in prison for people. Well, word gets to the Pharaoh that there's this guy who's in prison who knows how to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's interested because he's got this dream that's driving him crazy. And so he calls for Joseph out of prison. Joseph comes out of prison, starts talking to the Pharaoh, hears the dream that Pharaoh has and says to him, I know what, the, I know what this means, that God has given me the answer to what your dream means. There's going to be seven years that are coming where we're going to have plenty of food. There's going to be parties. There's going to be plenty. We're going to have more than we know what to do with. But at the end of those seven years, there is going to be seven more years of famine. No food, no parties, everything's done. And he, and he tells Pharaoh, this is, this is what your dream means. And so Pharaoh says to him, all right, he's so impressed. He says, you're second in command now. And so Joseph goes from uh, Potiphar's house to prison to now second in command of Egypt. And he's working to figure out how in these next seven years do I collect all the food that I possibly can so that when the seven bad years come, we're all set. And that's exactly what he does. They hoard this food, they take it in, they stockpile it, they're ready, and sure enough, on year eight, just like Joseph interpreted in the dream, the famine comes and there's no food. And people start coming from miles around Egypt to try to buy food because they're starving. Two years later, second year into the famine. And guys, now our, our, our best guess when you piece together the Bible, where we're at is, we think we're 22 years in now. We think, we think that Joseph was uh, sold at age 17. And we think that at age 39, in the second year of the famine, something unbelievable happens. Guess who shows up for food? His brothers, the same brothers that sold him, are now bowing at his feet, asking for food. And they don't even recognize Joseph. And this dream that Joseph dreamed at age 17 comes true. But not, not in a way that anybody expected. Holy cow. This, this is not what Joseph would have thought when he had that dream. This is not what the brothers would have thought when he shared that dream with them. God has woven this weird story through his life to the point where in Genesis 50, you guys got to read the story. In, in Genesis 50, uh, you get this statement from Joseph that I think is one of the most haunting statements of the whole Bible. Imagine being able to say this after 22 years Joseph says this, he says, you intend, he's talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me 
when you sold me. You, I know what your intent was, is obvious. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I want to read it again. <laughs> you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. How in the world does a human being get to the point where after that many years of suffering that they can look back on their life and say, I actually see the hand of God? That's Shasta. That's, that is C.S. Lewis theology right there coming out, and he's drawn it. If it's not from this story, it's got to be from many other places in the Bible where we read similar things that God tends to do things in your life and you don't recognize it at the time. But that's what he does. Now, there's a danger in this. There, it's easy to say that God's at work in your life and we don't recognize it, but I can tell you just from being around this stuff a little while, there's a kind of progression that can happen in our hearts that can lead us away from God and away from being able to make a statement like that. Let me for a second just walk you through what I, how I think that can look in us so that we're aware of it, we can see where we're at, and we can say, God, how do I stay in a spot that trusts you? How do I stay in a spot that is in constant conversation with you? Let me, let me show you where I think how, how we as people, how we start and how we can end up in life. Um, I, I want to go through like three little types here. And, and type one is this. Type one is the type that thinks God is involved and thinks God is involved every day. Like for those of you who put like a nine or a ten down as your number, like this, this, is, this is you, right? I think God is involved in my life every single day. You know what's so beautiful about this? You wake up with expectation. For those of you that are, are fortunate enough to have this be true of you, you wake up believing that God is going to do something. You wake up thinking and praying that God might actually steer you in some direction today. It's an incredibly beautiful place to be. A, a lot of people who are kind of in this type one stage, they would hold on and love passages like what you read in Romans chapter eight. So Paul's writing this and the people, he's writing to people that are confused about your, their faith, that are, that are um, facing a lot of hard persecution and stuff going on. And he writes them this, these beautiful words. Uh, Romans chapter eight, I think it's verse 28 says, and we know that God, we know that God causes everything Everything. Catch that word? Everything. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You believe that. When you, when you have that type one, you, you are the kind of person that's saying, I believe that God is at work today. And you wake up in the morning expecting to see that. It's a beautiful thing. Can I share with you a potential danger? If, if this is you, I, I don't want to rob an ounce of that from you. But I do want you to have your heads up about something. What can sometimes happen in this stage is sometimes we will start, because we believe so much that God will do something, that, that God's active in my life, 
because we believe that so much, sometimes what will happen is we will ascribe things to God and believe that God did something that he actually didn't. We will believe things that I'm not sure that God actually intended us for, to believe. Um, let, me, let me give you an example. And th- this isn't just around what God does. This might be any kind of, you know, spiritual force that's out there. So I, I've had this said to me a bunch of times over the years where uh, somebody will say, man, I had a really bad week. It just stunk. Things are tough. Bad stuff going on at work. You know, I got this cold. Satan gave me this cold. I'm sure of it, you know. And I'm like, that's interesting. Or it could be that you didn't wash your hands, you know, bef- before you ate. <laughs> like that, that could be why you got the cold. Um, sometimes, sometimes we believe that every little thing that happens to us is the re- result of some spiritual force or we believe that um, something happened to us that uh, uh, should not have happened to us and we, we blame God for that. You know, here, here, let me give you an example. Um, I've got, um, I have some friends that I've known over the years who I love. And I've mentioned uh, this to you before. But um, there are some friends of mine that they will look at their life and they will actually ask God for a vision. God, give me a vision of the future. Or God, give me a, give me a picture. Give me an image. Something that is my kind of like image with you that when I see it, then I know that you're speaking to me. Or give me a word. Give me a word for my life that I'm going to live by or that you're speaking to me through this word. So an example is I had a friend who uh, believed that anytime she had, she prayed and she, she believed that anytime she saw a rabbit, a bunny rabbit, that she needed to pay attention that God was actually speaking to her in that moment. And so she needed to know. Now, anybody who lives in Rock Creek knows that... <laughs> You, you've, God's like talking all the time, you know, like you just look at my backyard. I, God lives in my backyard. If rabbits are the sign, then holy cow. Now I, I don't, I don't want to belittle though. What? Okay. Hear me. I'm not belittling that God can't do that. But I think here, here's what I just want to encourage you when you step into something like that. We got to be grounded in the scripture. I, I, I just, um, when I read the Bible, I, I can't think of, somebody tell me if you know of a situation that I'm not thinking of, but I cannot think in the Bible of any instance where someone was saying to God, give me a vision, give me a vision, give me a vision, I need a word, I need an image, and God did so. What I see in the Bible is a lot of people that weren't expecting to get a vision, and God psh, parachuted it right on them. Here's, here's my theory. I'm actually so glad for that because if there's some people who can conjure up images from God like that, then they become the gurus. I actually think God is the one who's interested in being the guru. And so God will come into and invade our lives sometimes with stuff like that. But I'm not sure. I'm, I'm in a journey myself trying to figure out what does this look like? I read a book this week that I thought was so good on trying to help understand this. Uh, there's a woman named Annie Downs. So uh, she wrote a book called Remember God. And, and this is it. I, by the way, I loved it because um, sometimes uh, some, of, some of the people here at work laugh at me because I think there's, there's women authors who have unbelievable things to say and not just to women. 
And sometimes when I read or see books by women authors, Christian authors, the, the front has like pink flowers on it. And it, it tells me as a guy, I can't read it. And uh, so when I saw the cover of this book, I went, oh, thank God I can read this. It's black, you know, and gold. Um, so I picked up the book this week and I started, I started reading it and I just was fascinated. She's one of these people. She started, she started a year praying for God to give her a word and say, God, give me a word for the year. What's my word for the year? Uh, you know, what's going to happen this year? Talk to me. And she's single. She lives in Nashville. She's a writer. She wants to be married. The word that she felt like God was giving to her was the word bride. Now, that's, that's a high expectation for the year. She's got a group of friends who are praying for her, and they're putting her hands on her, praying for her, and one of the friends says, your word for the year is love. So she's taking that, and she's going, oh, wow, okay. Bride and love. Like, time to buy the dress. She's, she's psyched. This is going to be a great year. So the book is so great because it goes through her year where she's having this conversation with God about it. She starts talking to God. She, you know, she gets through uh, into May, and something happens with her book that she wasn't really happy about. And so she's talking, God, what's going on here? She gets to August, and she's got some issues that come up with her friendships. Uh, she keeps going through the year where, man, she's starting to get a little panicky. November's rolling around. There's not a guy in sight. She goes to a New Year's Eve party, and she's got nothing. There's no guy. And, she, and she's starting to really question now, what is God doing? And, and this is what often happens. Sometimes when we don't interpret correctly what God, we think God ought to be doing in our lives today, we will transition from, I believe God is involved in every, everyday details and cares. We will transition to the second kind of stage or type that I wanna, uh, you can throw up here as, as type two is, uh, does he care? Does he care? Or did I hear him wrong? Or what, what's going on? You know, she goes through this beautiful process of this. And in the end, what she concludes is she says, you know what, he does care. It's just that I, uh, what he wanted to teach me this year was something completely different than what I thought. I need to know what it means to be the bride of Christ. I need to know what it means to love God and love my neighbor. And if I look back at this year, even though I thought it meant that I was going to get married, if I look back at this year, I can see God's steps with me every piece of the way, even though it didn't end up at all how I thought it was going to end up. That's beautiful. Now, what can happen is, though, so she, she goes from type 1 to type 2, and then she returns to type 1 with a completely different understanding of how God works and talks. That's why I love that whole book. But what often can happen is we can slide into type three instead. Type three is just the idea of God is involved, but not really. God didn't, I prayed, I believe that God works every day. God didn't do what I thought God was going to do. I questioned whether God cared. I started to maybe look back at my life and see the things where I thought that God was doing and now I've revised my own personal history to believe that maybe that was just coincidence. I've abandoned the supernatural. I've abandoned the thought that God is actually active and engaged. Maybe there's not even a God at all. 
And so we move from type one to type two, and then people like Annie Downs somehow reflect, look back, and then move back to type one with a totally different understanding, but then sometimes we move instead from type one to type two to type three that says, I'm just not sure that God cares. I'm not sure that God's real, even. Where, Where are you in that? There's a question about that that just says, where are you overall? But where are you with specific areas of your life? Maybe specific areas of your life that you have started to withdraw and to keep from God because you've started to believe that God doesn't care about that area of your life. You know how you can tell? It's if you pray. If I... When I don't think God is going to do something in a certain area, I, why would I pray? I just stop. I stop praying. I, I withdraw from God from that area of my life because I don't think that God actually cares about it. Can I give you my number? Scale from one to ten. Uh, I, I want to give you my number, and but it's with a big caveat. I have a ten. I believe God is involved every single day. I believe God is engaged in your life right now and even the things that you don't think that he cares about. I, I absolutely believe that God is very involved in the everyday. But here's the caveat. God is involved, but it's always on his terms, not ours. God is involved every single day, but it is always on his terms and not ours. And here's the catch. If we think God is going to be involved on our terms and he doesn't do what we think he's going to do, we often convince ourselves that he's not real. How do we grow into a spot like Joseph did where Joseph can actually look at his life of 22 years of exile and instead of concluding like a type three that God isn't actually there, he concludes that God was working some incredible mystery through his life that he would have never guessed at, even though it didn't end up the way he thought it was going to. Amazing. God's involved on his terms. That's Joseph's story. That's Mary's story. That's Shasta's story. That is your story. That's my story. That that is undoubtedly the God of the Bible's story. Man, look no further than Jesus. Kidding me? God comes to earth as a person. That's his terms to begin with. Who would have thought that? Nobody thought that. If he did do that, you'd think he'd be in a palace somewhere. He ends up being born in the backwoods with a teenage mom and grows up a carpenter building tables. Those are God's terms. Those are not the terms that we would have ever expected, and so the people didn't recognize him. That same theme is happening today in your life and in my life too. And the the biggest danger that I just, here's, here's what I encourage you to do today. Whatever it is that you think God has withdrawn or God maybe isn't there or whatever, I just wanna, I wanna ask you, keep talking to him. There's a catch 22 here. What can happen is I, don't think God is involved in my everyday, so I don't pray. I don't have a conversation with God. I don't talk to him. If I don't talk to God, I will not see him in my everyday. 
it's a little circle that happens. And that's where Annie, in that book, breaks that circle. I didn't see God the way I thought. He was involved in my everyday. I kept talking to him. And now I'm seeing him again. Man, here's the prayer. Today would you do what Shasta did on that trail, turn to God and say, where are you? What are you doing? Where have you been? In whatever area it is that you need to turn to him and say that. And I will be surprised. It may not be right away, but as time goes on, those years goes on, it's never on our time schedule that you will hear that voice that says, I am one who has waited a long time for you to talk to me. And give that to him. Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, for the chance to dive into this, to, to see the mystery of what it means to know you, the mystery of how you work in our lives. It's terrifying that there is so much about this that rings so true especially as we get perspective with time about how you work. And we are so grateful because we end up in places that we would have not taken ourselves. And yet we're glad that we end up there because you orchestrated it. You choreographed where we end up. Lord, I pray for this church that we would be people that talk to you and that we would be people that are brave enough to talk to you even when we find ourselves in a type two or type three zone of our lives. God, help today for someone in this room, me included, someone in this room to break through and talk to you, maybe for the first time in a long time, and maybe about something where we had given up hope. We give that to you, Lord. We trust you, and we love you today, and ask for your spirit in this, in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah. I can't.